So we could be seated, grab a Bible, find Acts chapter 2. More than one person on stage, that's pretty exciting. That hasn't happened in more than a year. So I heard we're going to phase three pretty soon too, which nobody knows what that means, but that's okay. Not judging. Acts chapter 2. Oh, somehow the Bible bucket didn't make it out here. If there's some person behind that curtain that could, yeah, there he is. Look at that. That's why you hire good people because they know what to do when it doesn't get done right. Acts chapter 2, we're going to start in verse 42 through 47. Is Sarah around down here? No, I didn't forget, but I forgot to plan. You want to come up, share? So come on up. There's stairs right there. We've been doing a, um, thanks, Jake. If you don't have a Bible, Jake's going to hand you one in a minute. Just be grateful and tell him thanks. Uh, so we've been focusing on prayer as a church for the last couple months, and we will do so for another month or so. And uh, we've been developing some resources on our website uh, to help people. If you're starting kind of from ground zero, or maybe you think you know, and you're like, oh, yeah, I've never thought about this, and so we've had one on biblical examples of prayer and topics you could pray for, and Krista did a great job on types of prayer last week, and then Sarah just did some studying on methods of prayer, or so different ways to pray, Uh, and so she's going to share a little bit about that. Okay. When he says studying, I basically ask people in my life, what do you do to pray? Quick, tell me. Okay, good. And I just thought it was really cool. Like, people do this in a lot of different ways. So, like, they're going for drives. They're taking a shower. They're in the midst of changing uh, diapers. And um, one of the things that I thought was kind of kind of stuck out to me is, like, what would be, like, how would I ideally have a conversation with the Lord? Like, if, like, Scripture is saying that this is our, like, weapon. Like, this is what we're going to use to fight our battles. Like, this is what I want to, like... Um, I don't know, I just want to have that conversation with the Lord because this is like one of the big tools I have in my life to fight everything. And I was thinking, okay, I need that conversation to be like uh, set up in a way that um, I'm focusing on him. So kind of like a conversation I want to have with my husband. I want our phones to be down. I want us to look each other in the eyes. I want us to really be talking to each other. I want to be, my heart wants to be like listening to what God has to say. And, um, I want to make this a regular thing and I want it, I want it to be enjoyable. Like I really, really love going on jogs with the Lord. And yeah, when I get a chance to do that, that's awesome. But sometimes it also has to be during like just the times when I am distracted. How do I also still bring the Lord into um, my mind. So yeah, there's like five, ten things listed online. It's awesome. Yeah. So things that maybe you've never tried before, I would actually encourage you to just go online, download the resource, and try some of the stuff, right? Oh, I've never tried praying out loud while I was walking. Oh, I've never tried writing down my prayers or having a journal or any of those things. So yeah, Can good job. One more thing? No, I'm joking. Go ahead. This is for Megan. So we're actually going to have a women's retreat. Yeah. It's going to be awesome. We've been wanting to do it for like a year. And so we don't have all the details out. Those are going to be, yeah, stay tuned. But the date is the Friday and Saturday before Mother's Day. So if you can remember that, Friday night is like the 7th and Saturday is the 8th. So hold on. If you're a lady out there, hold that weekend. Um, maybe not the Sunday because that's Mother's Day, but the Friday and Saturday night open. Yeah. So excited. Awesome. I have some sort of like 
psychological scarring from listening to too many church announcements as a child. So my default is to like skip church announcements altogether. So people have to remind me sometimes like, we don't know what's going on. I'm like, oh yeah, well, all right, sorry. So here we go, Acts chapter two. We are continuing in our study day through the book of Acts. And if you're the cynical type, you're probably like continuing. Bro, we've been six weeks and we're only in chapter two. Yes, that's, I apologize. But uh, this is a huge and important part of the church. It's an important part of how we got here. And by here, I mean gathering on a Sunday morning in 2021. Um, It's just a really big deal. The church was born for all intents and purposes. Uh, in Acts chapter 2, and so we spent a lot of time. This is actually our fourth week in Acts chapter 2. We are going to finish it today, so if you're worried about that. Um, But the beginning of the church teaches us a lot of stuff that's really important to why we are and who we are and how we do things. So that's why we spent the extra time here. And one thing I want to point out before we get into this, we say uh, the church a lot, right? And I'm going to grab my watch because if I don't... You guys are going to all be mad at me later on. You'll be like, wait, what the heck? Uh, The church, as the Bible talks about it, is never a building. Okay? Now, I know that may be a surprise to some of you because we just talk about church. Like, I'm going to church. What do you mean? I'm going to the building. The building is never what the Bible is talking about when it says church. It's always a group of people. It's always a group of people. Actually, the word that's used, if you didn't know, your old New Testament was written in Greek, uh, and the word that's used is ekklesia. It's like a gathering, a calling out. It's like an assembly. Like, hey, guys, come together, like a town hall meeting kind of thing. Like, everybody get together at eight. We're going to talk about the roads or something like that. That's the same word. So it's always a group of people, a gathered group of people, a called out, assembled group of people when the Bible uses the word church. Keep that in mind, okay? Because we're not talking about building. When we say the church is born, it's not like we're breaking ground and we got a shovel with a bow on it, right? And a giant pair of scissors. You know, that's not what we're doing here, right? It's a people, right? And it's not just any people. It's not just, hey, people showed up so the church was born. There was people gathered in Jerusalem before the church was actually born. Remember, they were gathered for the Feast of Pentecost. So these are specific people. People who we talked about, hearts have been changed by the Holy Spirit. Remember, we talked as we read that first sermon that uh, was ever given, Peter gave to the church. He said, Amos, Joel told you guys this guy was coming, right? Hearts would be changed, and that would be a sign of the latter days, the second half, the end times, right? The hearts would be changed, and that would be the sign that people were close to God. So this is not just any group of people. This is a group of people whose hearts have been changed. Think about that for a second. Not just a group of people who have assembled. That's great that you've assembled. Not just the people who have gathered. Great that you've gathered. Not just people who have been called out. Great that you heard the call, but your hearts are actually changed. And Acts chapter 2 is not only kind of the beginning of that movement of people, but then it is describing the moments of their heart change, right? If the church is born and the church is made up of a group of people whose hearts have been changed, then these are the moments of their heart change. This is their transformation from like, hey, my heart was in this place and now God has rearranged it and given me new affections and new distastes and and all sorts of different things have changed within my heart. So that's why I think it's so important to spend so much time on Acts chapter 2. This is what it looks like when God changes people's hearts. 
Okay? And so what do we do? What do we do when our hearts have been changed? Well, we can look at the example of the early church. Uh, it's going to start in verse 37, but I do want you to write that down if you didn't while well, I said it earlier, because it it's, it's always going to be true. The birth of the church and the growth of the church is always going to be about heart change. Okay? It's, it's never going to be more or less complicated than that. It's about heart change. Right? People's hearts changing. Right? So if, if you want to take that into our church, right? Our church has no hope if your hearts don't change. If my heart doesn't change. If our worship team's heart doesn't change. Like, the growth of this church, the growth of the church, is all about individual heart change. So, here we go. Verse 37. Let's look at what it looks like when these people's hearts have been changed. Starting in verse 37. Acts chapter 2. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, remember, he had just preached the very first sermon, what shall we do? Verse 38. And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and they were added that day about 3,000 souls. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and the breaking of bread and the prayers and awe came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles and all who believed were together and had all things in common and they were all selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all any as had need and day by day attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes they received their food with glad and generous hearts praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So here's what heart change looks like in these people. Verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread, and the prayers. Now, it's really easy to read that and go, oh, yeah, that makes sense, right? But there's, uh, especially if you read it in the Greek, which I don't think you have to read it in the Greek to kind of see, like this was the four things they devoted themselves to. The rest of the stuff was happening, right? The, the sharing of everything and the mighty works and wonders. But this was, this was the input. This was what they put their hand to do. This is the devotion that was caused, these four things, okay? And so let's take a look at those four things because I think it's really easy to read them, apostles' teaching, fellowship, breaking bread, prayers, got it, and move on and not actually think about what it would look like if we were devoted to those things, what it would mean if my heart was changed enough to devote my life to those four things. So we're going to take them one at a time. Apostles' teaching is the first one, so that's where we'll start. Here we go. The apostles' teaching was pretty self-explanatory. It was the teaching that the apostles taught, right? I came up with that myself. Uh, the apostles had spent three years with Jesus, okay? So they had learned their teachings from Jesus. So when we say apostles' teaching, what we're basically understanding is this is Jesus' teaching, okay? So they learned a different uh, not a different, but a teaching from Jesus uh, that was very specific. And since what they were doing is teaching this set of beliefs, okay? Uh, other translations sometimes use the word doctrine. I think that's helpful to just get this idea of like, uh, there's a set of beliefs that Jesus taught. 
And the apostles were carrying on that set of beliefs. Like, no, no, no. This is what it looks like for our specific worldview, our interpretation of the scriptures, our interpretation of life, our interpretation of how to live with a changed heart. And this is, there's three things that we see about these apostles' teaching. And the first one I want to point out is this, is that knowing the truth was very important to them. Very important. It was very important to Jesus, and it was very important to the apostles, and apparently it was very important to all these people who had their hearts changed, the 3,000 on the first day, and the numbers that the Lord was adding daily, because they were gathering together, listening to and devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching. It wasn't just some like add-on. It, it wasn't just some like option, right? This wasn't an elective. Like, oh yeah, if you want truth, you can add that on to what you already got going with Jesus. No, no. Jesus was very interested in people knowing the truth, and the apostles carried that on. They were very interested in people knowing the truth. There's a misunderstanding out there that following Jesus is like, trying to be a better person, and if some part of Jesus' teaching is helpful, then great. Hope that helps you, and if it's not helpful, then don't worry about it. You won't find that in the Bible. You won't find that among the apostles. You won't find that among the early Christians or in the early church. Truth was very important to them, very important. There's no evidence that these people were like, oh yeah, this Jesus guy, he's the savior, cool, and then just disregarded the rest of the, the set of beliefs, the doctrine, the teachings. Uh, the second thing we learn from this is the apostles believe and Jesus taught that the truth was very narrow. The truth was very narrow. There wasn't a million people out there teaching correct doctrine at the time. The reason they were gathered together and devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching is because not everybody in town was teaching the correct set of beliefs, the correct doctrine. Not everybody out there had the right plan, right? Not everybody out there was teaching the truth. And I know that's a very, you know, unpopular thing to say in 2021. Narrowness is associated with all sorts of negative things, right? But Jesus taught that the truth was very narrow. And he didn't say like all roads lead to God, you know, everything's a river that they all flow into one ocean. He didn't say that. He didn't say some roads lead to God. He didn't even say there's a few roads that lead to God. No, he said there's one road that leads to God. Remember, this is the guy who, John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the singular way, the singular truth, the singular life. If you're on another road, not only does it not lead to God, it does not lead to life. It leads somewhere else. And if it's not life, there's not a lot of great options. Okay? And I get it. People are like, oh, that's so narrow-minded. I'm just telling you what Jesus said. You take it up with him. You take it up with him, right? There's one way to God. There's one way to be safe. There's one way to restore fellowship with the Father and have a hope for the future. I get that this narrow-minded thing is associated with all sorts of bigotry and, you know, prejudice and all this stuff and, and unintelligent. Jesus was not unintelligent. Jesus was not prejudiced. Jesus was not a bigot. Right? We see in the way he interacts with diverse people, groups, and mindsets all throughout the scripture that he offered this to everybody. This is not an exclusive club. But he didn't just say, hey, try hard in whatever you're doing now. 
Go find somebody that's doing a good thing and they're probably on the right path. No, he said, there is one way to the Father and it's through me. No one comes to the Father except through me. It's narrow. It's narrow. And that completely defeats this idea of like, hey, we're just, we're just trying to do better. We're just out here trying to love each other. You know, mean people suck bumper stickers and like nice people are cool. Like that's, that's not what they devoted themselves to. They devoted themselves to a truth that was important and a truth that was very narrow. And last thing I'll point out. One, truth was very important. Truth was very specific. And three, they believed that God's word was the truth. Remember the teaching we just read? Uh, there was a very first sermon ever given to the church, right? And all Peter did, as we read through it last week and the week before, is he quoted Old Testament scriptures and then explained them to the people. That's all he did, right? He's like, this is what it says. This is what it means for us, right? In fact, if you want to like write it out, there's 22 verses that he is preaching his sermon. Ten of them are just reading from the Old Testament, the word of God. That, that's almost half of what his very first sermon was, was just the word of God to these people. Just teaching the word of God. Just there, we see that they think truth is the word of God, right? They think it's very important. We don't see any, any part of them that are like, you know, they didn't move past the word of God. They didn't abandon the word of God. Jesus didn't come and be like, yeah, that old system where they read the Bible, that's so outdated. You know, there's, there's this tendency we get in 2021, especially like, oh, it's such an outdated book. We're so beyond that now. That monotheistic thing. Yeah, that was, that was cool back when we didn't have science, right? We don't need that anymore. But we don't see that in the scriptures. We don't see them moving beyond the word of God. And if at any point in time they thought that they could neglect the old way of doing things and start a new way, it would have been now. And yet they didn't. Jesus fulfilled the word of God, pressed them into the word of God. And we see the Holy Spirit led them towards the word of God. The word of God in their minds contained truth, and it still does today. So second one, right? They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Second one, fellowship. Fellowship is a word that usually in Christian circles is misunderstood a little bit because uh, in the church world, which if you're not part of a church world, don't worry about it. Um, but, you know, the people who have been around for a while, they just mean hanging out when they say fellowship. Right. Let's just fellowship. What does that mean? Well, we're just we don't have a plan or we're just hanging out. Right. And so that's what it's come to mean. It's just like the Christian word for hanging out now. Fellowship definitely involves spending time together with other believers, but it is also quite a bit more than that. In fact, if you look at the word fellowship, uh, it's translated in your Bible and other passages to mean uh, cooperation or contribution or participation, even sharing, right? So it's this idea of being part of something bigger than yourself, right? It's not just me hanging out with you. We're not just two individuals hanging out. It's us cooperating and contributing to and sharing and participating in something bigger than ourselves. That's what the church is. It's a group of people bigger than ourselves. And I point that out because our tendency in human nature is to view fellowship with the consumer mentality, right? Why, why do I point that out? Consumers consume, right? That's what consumers do. Right? So consumers make decisions based on a value proposition. It's like transactional. It's like in this transaction, do I feel like there's enough value in this immediately for me 
to engage in the transaction because I'm a consumer, right? And so people view fellowship that way, right? And so we get this whole idea of like, there's opportunities for fellowship in our life, whether it's a Sunday morning or a small group or having people over to your house. And you, if you have this consumer mindset, you're just like, well, is there immediate value in that for me? And if your definition of fellowship is just hanging out, then you get this whole list of questions, right? Like, oh, well, do I have time to hang out? Like, do I have more important things going on to hang out, right? I mean, is there enough value in hanging out for me to actually make the time to do it? Is there something I would like to be doing more than just hanging out, right? And those are all valid questions if your definition of fellowship is just hanging out. But the Bible tells us that fellowship is, like I said, a contribution to a whole, being a part of something that is bigger than yourself, sharing in and participating in the body of Christ. And in fact, the body of Christ is an interesting analogy because God says in the, the Bible, God's word says uh, that we are like the body of Christ, right? And so some of us are arms and some of us are eyes and some of us are heads and hands and feet and medulla oblongatus. No, it doesn't say that, but you know, the different parts of the body, some Adam Sandler fan in there. So, uh, sorry, that was way off. I should have sticked to the notes. Uh, so the Bible says that we are a body and we are by being the body, by being the part, by having a part to play, by understanding we're something bigger than ourselves, we become the representation of God on the earth. In fact, you might not have thought of this, but the church is God's plan A. We're not like backup plan. We're not like God was like, I was going to save the world, but then, you know, my plans fell through, so I guess I'll use these people. No, no, the gathering together of people whose hearts have been changed by the Holy Spirit is God's plan for the salvation of the world. Is God's plan to represent himself on planet Earth. So now flip that around. Take that definition into the questions we just asked ourselves earlier. Instead of hanging out, it's a representation of God. It's his plan for the salvation of the world. Do I feel like being the representative of God on Earth today? Do I even have time to be God's plan of salvation for the world today? Is there something I could be doing instead of representing God on planet Earth? Right? Is there something I would get greater value at, uh, you know, out of, than actually being God's plan of salvation for the world? Like, that sounds like a ridiculous question, right? It is a ridiculous question, right? Because our definition of fellowship is misunderstood. And it's at this point in the conversation that the argument comes up, I don't have to church. I don't have to go to church to be a Christian, Jared. You, you don't have to. Yeah, okay. All right. There's always one in every crowd. I get it. I'm not trying. You guys made it. I'm preaching to the choir. I, I know. I'm not telling you like, yo, you're missing out on fellowship. I will tell you this, though. When the Bible talks about church, it's not about a building, it's about a people. And the word, the word literally means a gathered people, an assembled people. So you're telling me you could be part of the gathered people, but not gather. I'm part of the assembled people, I just don't go to the assembly. Well, all right, you know, that seems like it's contradictory. Um, but we all know this doesn't work in any other setting of life. Right? I have, as a pastor, you talk to lots of people just in general and stuff. People need help. People are struggling. And I can't tell you how many times I've had uh, younger adults come along. We sit down. How's it going? Good. Tell me about your life. Well, my parents, you know, they gave us everything. We went on trips. Just never really felt like they were there. 
Never, never really connected with them. Never, they, they just, we're just not tight. There's just something missing. Something's not good there. Well, tell me about that. Well, we just never spent time together. It was a time thing, right? It was a, dad came home. He's just on his phone the whole time. Mom's on Facebook all day, right? Like dad just comes home and sits down in front of the TV. And like he's out with his buddies or mom's out drinking. And like, this is like, it happens all the time. What happened? They didn't spend time together and to ruin their family. Like we know that, right? We know the marriages where they don't spend time together are doomed. And yet we think we can go to church and like, consumer mentality, like, nah, when I need it, I'll fellowship, and when I don't, it's like milk, right? Open the fridge. Do I feel like we need some? No, we got some last week. We'll be fine, right? You're part of something big. You're part of a whole, and I don't say that to make you feel terrible, but I do say that to say don't, like, have a terrible definition of fellowship ruin your experience of the body of Christ, because the thing he has called you to is incredible, it's incredible. I spent way too much time on that. We got to speed up. I'm going to run out of time. The third one, breaking of bread. So we have apostles teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread. Breaking of bread is probably sharing of meals together, which in the Jewish tradition was a very significant sign of hospitality. Uh, they believe that there was a, a mingling of uh, like souls kind of taking place when you ate with somebody. So they would intentionally not eat with people they would consider unclean. It's a whole long thing, but it was a lot more than just like, hey, we shared a donut. Like it was a big deal to eat with somebody and break bread. And pay attention to this because this was central. Um, one of the things that they would do as they broke bread was communion. Right? We call it communion. It was the celebration of the Passover feast. If you remember, on the night before he died, Jesus was eating the Passover feast, and he took the bread, and he took the cup, and he said, what? Do this in remembrance of me. Right? So this is one of the four things that they had devoted themselves to, this remembering of Jesus. This re we are the people who remember Jesus. Like, that's foundational. It's not like, hey, it's optional again, right? This is, this is foundational to the people whose hearts have been changed to the church. We are the people who remember Jesus. Again, it wasn't just to be a better person. Make the world a better place. Be kind. This was a complete identity change and driving before, force behind all that they were doing because they remembered Jesus. Right? That's huge. That's huge. Right? They were teaching the truth, right? They were fellowshipping. They were part of something bigger than themselves, part of the whole, and they were remembering Jesus. They didn't have a hundred things they were devoted to. They had four, and this was one of the four. Remember Jesus. And sometimes people get so dang distracted and confused. Life gets so complicated, you forget that the point is to remember Jesus. I got a lot of stuff going on. I got things. No, no, no. The most important thing is that you remember Jesus. Now, at this point, there's probably some mom, right? She's got a bunch of kids running around, dirty diapers everywhere, making meals, hasn't slept through the night in like three years. It's like, you know, you want me to remember Jesus, do you? Right? And you're thinking like, you got to do communion like every morning for an hour and a half, you know, like silence in the house, bread, wine, like a few worship songs on the guitar, and then like, take it with me. We're not talking about that, okay? But I am telling you this, however crazy your life is, the most important thing is that you remember Jesus. We do this thing where we think the most important thing is to figure it out, 
I got to come up with a good plan. I got to solve this problem. I got to get this done and I got to get it done now. I got to figure this out, right? We, that's not the most important thing. It's never the most important thing. You focus on Jesus and all that other stuff falls into its correct priority in your life. I, I get it. There's moms out here who do a billion things. You'll never be the kind of mom you should be unless you focus on Jesus. It's not just moms, business leaders, husbands, doctors. I shouldn't make that gender specific, right? Anybody on planet Earth who thinks they're busy, too busy, too busy to do this. Well, one that should tell you something. Remember the third seed that we talked about in the parable of the sower? How did it die? It got strangled out right? By the cares of this world. If you think you're too busy to remember Jesus, probably saying something about your lifestyle. But second, it's got to be high on the priority list, like the highest. This is what causes heart change is a remembering of Jesus. And you won't be the kind of dad. You won't be the kind of friend. You won't be the kind of brother. You won't be the kind of wife. You won't be the kind of child. You won't be the kind of leader. You won't be the kind of worker that you need to be if you don't take any time to remember Jesus. Here we go. Last one, prayers. On the surface, we all know what prayer is. Ask God for stuff, right? This would make sense that people whose hearts were changed would then ask God for stuff. But what may need some development in our understanding of prayer, because our definition of prayer is usually only asking God for stuff, it will be pretty hard for you to pray consistently if that's all you understand is prayer, right? Because you'll run out of things to ask for. So then you'll be sitting there like, I either ask for the same stuff over, which kind of feels like a waste of time, or I just make stuff up to ask for. And God, can we have new cushions on the chairs? Because Jared's teaching long today, and these are not as comfy as they should be. And God, I pray that the restaurant's open, because I hate eating everything in my car for takeout. And God, you know, you just start making stuff up that we can ask for. Prayer is communication with God. And there are lots of different types of prayer in the Bible, and people pray them in all sorts of different circumstances. And it's absolutely not just asking God for things. And that is why we have the prayer resources on our website. Hopefully you get some ideas on how your prayer life can expand to help you understand there are different types of prayer that you could pray in different types of circumstances. But prayer is not just sitting down with your eyes closed, hands folded, seeing like praying out loud for God to give you stuff. There are a million different prayers you can pray and a million different times that you can pray. And prayer primarily is about living all of the different circumstances of your life in connection to and communication with God. Okay? So that's what they were devoted to. Not just like, oh, they sat down and asked God for lots of stuff. No, they were constantly communicating with and connecting to God in all the circumstances of their life. And the last thing I'll point out about prayer, it doesn't say just prayer. It says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread, and the prayers. Okay? The is a specific pattern of prayer. In the Jewish culture, there was a lot of different prayers that they had to pray at different times of the day and things like that, right? So sun up, we're praying. Noontime, we're praying. Sundown, we're praying. There's all this stuff, right? So here's what you learn from that. They had planned to pray. And even bigger than that, they had planned to have healthy rhythms and communication with God. This wasn't an accident, right? 
And we're just like, oh, it's time. Oh, yeah, I should just pray now, right? It's like if you ever talk to a financial person, right? Do you have a plan to save money? Yeah, I save when I remember to. Like, how does that work out? Right? If you play, pray, I keep saying play, I don't know why, because it's sunny outside. If you pray only when you remember to, you're going to fail. I promise you. There will never be any sort of significant. These are people who had planned out and prepared to and scheduled into their lives healthy, God-honoring rhythms to pray and communicate with him and go to synagogue and be with other believers and all of that kind of stuff. This was one of the four things they had devoted themselves to. And I think it's interesting because when we talk about our purpose as a church, we, we have a mission statement. We, do, we exist to glorify God by helping people know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference. And we call those our four steps of discipleship. And we say that we see them all through the Bible. Right. And every time I come to a point like this, I'm like, okay, if we see them all through the Bible, if they're really that important, then we should see them in all these passages. Right. And we talk about it. We see knowing God in this passage. They were devoted to the apostles teaching, which we know is the word of God. We see them finding freedom from sin. Right. Their hearts are completely changed. They're repentant. Right. At the beginning of the passage we read, their hearts were cut. And they said, what do we do? They weren't just stuck in their old mindset, stuck in their old sins. They were repentant and changed their hearts. They discovered their purpose. They were part of a whole. And interesting, when we talk about discovering purpose, you may not remember this, but there's two types of purpose. Right. There's an individual purpose that's dictated by your giftings uh, and 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 just kind of who you are. And then there's a corporate purpose, being part of a whole. We already talked about clearly they understand their purpose as a whole, being part of the fellowship. But then it says they were also meeting house to house, right? So there was this individual component to their purpose where they were like, no, 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 my house even is an instrument to further the gospel. My, not just the temple, they were gathered in the temple as well in the big corporate thing, but they were gathered house to house individually as well. And then making a difference. We see it all through the second half of what we just read. They were selling their possessions, right? They were giving to everybody as had need. There were signs and wonders being done, not because they were seeking signs and wonders, but what were they seeking? The apostles teaching, fellowship, breaking bread, and prayers, right? And then it says, everybody in town had a good report of them. Talk about making a difference in your world. When everybody looks on and goes, yeah, those guys are awesome. Do you agree with them? Nope. But they're great. They're great people, right? That's something to aspire to. Here's where I want to finish. Two thoughts for you. The defining characteristic of those whose hearts were changed was described here as a devotion. It says they devoted themselves to I point that out because there's a tendency in our hearts to think of the Christian life, not in terms of what we're devoted to, but what we're abstaining from. You ever felt that? We said it this way two weeks ago. Followers of Jesus has always been the healthiest when they are defined by what they are for rather than what they're against. And here's the way I want to say it this morning. And we see it in, in, in the passage. God changes our hearts to be in pursuit of something. You see that? They were devoted to this thing. There was this thing out there that they're like, we got to chase that with all that we are. This is the goal. This is what we're after. And there's, there's this, 
temptation sometimes, if you've been in church for a while, that you don't have a theology of pursuit, but you have a theology of avoidance, right? And what defines you as a follower of Jesus is we don't do that. We don't do this. We don't do that. We don't do that. Please, not only for the health of your understanding of the Christian life, but for your kids especially, like flip that around. Allow the Holy Spirit to change your heart and be in pursuit of him, not in avoidance of the world. Yes, there will be times where our pursuit of Jesus will cause us to avoid the world, but the driving force is a theology of pursuit. It's not a theology of avoidance. The theology of avoidance is called death, right? I don't do this. I don't do that. I don't do that. I don't. Well, you know what else doesn't do any of those things? Dead people, right? So like, we pursue Jesus. That's what makes us Christians. Finally here, Jesus said it this way. Seek first the kingdom. He didn't say avoid first the world. He said seek first the kingdom. Now I'm not saying you don't have to avoid some things. But I am saying there should be a stirring in your heart where we are in pursuit of of Jesus. And here's what happens a lot of the times. And this is the last point. I'll finish on this. We try to add Jesus to other things that we're pursuing. And can I be real honest with you? Jesus is a terrible add-on. It's a terrible add-on. He's the worst, right? Because he keeps going. Like, his purposes are not meant to be added on to something. Right? And so we got our pursuit and we're, I'm doing my house thing. I'm doing my career thing. I'm trying to get married over here. I'm trying to, and we have these things that we're pursuing. And then we're like, oh yeah, I should be doing that God thing too. Like, let me just add a little bit of Jesus on there. Like, like, you know, like cilantro on a Mexican dish. We'll just sprinkle it on the top. No! Right? Jesus is the worst add-on ever. He's the greatest pursuit ever. That's why he said, seek first the kingdom, right? We know this. We know, like, there are things in life that are the worst add-ons ever. Like, your wife is a terrible add-on, right? How's that for a proposal? Hey, honey, I just got this incredible plan for my life, and it's, it's awesome and great, and just, I can't wait for it. And I was wondering if you could, like, help me get there a little bit. Right? And when I need you, like you could come alongside. When I don't need you, like you could watch on a knee with the ring. No, nobody wants that. Right? A girl wants to be pursued. That's what the proposal is all about. Right? Kids are a terrible add on. Right? And we all know that because there are parts of our lives where maybe our parents treated us as an add on. We're like, that sucks. Right? So Jesus is the same way. Right? It's not an add on, He can't be an add on. He has to be the pursuit. And, and this is why I say that. Because lots of people come to church, read the Bible even maybe, right? And they do it for a little bit of time. And they get to the point where it's like, ah, it just didn't work for me. It just didn't work for me. And, and 99 times out of 100, you start digging a little bit. It's like, well, yeah, you tried to add him on to all this other stuff you had going on. Like he, was, he was secondary. There is no seek first the kingdom about any of it, right? Jesus is a terrible add-on. He's terrible. And you may convince yourself that you could do it for a while, but it never lasts. I promise you, it never lasts. 
And maybe there's some heart change that needs to take place this morning. Maybe the Holy Spirit's like, hey, you've been adding me on to these other pursuits. I am the pursuit. Uh, maybe this will help you. I think of it sometimes. Sometimes people think of life as a priority list. And they're like, God's at the top. Right? And as long as God's at the top of the priority list, then we're fine. And that, that's a terrible way to think about it. Because what you do then is you're like, if I give God enough time, right? People's priority list, God, family, job, friend, you know, they do the thing, right? And then, well, we just have to make sure that God gets a little bit more time than friends, and then friends gets a little bit less time than family, and the family gets a little bit more time than work, and that's how my priority list is scheduled, right? And so then what happens is, well, I did my God time, so now I get to do my family time. It's like, no, 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 God should be in your family time, right? Jesus isn't the highest thing on the priority list, he's the reason for the priority list, right? My family, my work, my friends, my job, all of it should be in pursuit of Jesus. Not that he's on the top of the list, but he's the reason that their list even exists. I'll have the worship team come on up. Maybe you're here this morning and, um, and you don't know. I don't know. You're just, I, I'm not sure I'm in on this whole thing. I'm not sure what to do. I'll just make it real clear up front. Like we said earlier, truth is narrow, right? And I don't say that to scare you into something. I'm not like telling you to try harder and do better. But I am saying if we sing this last song, we sing a song at the end so you can reflect on and respond to what God's doing in your heart. If you're just sitting there going like, yeah, I'm pursuing a lot of other stuff and adding Jesus onto that. That's, that's, that's not going to work for you. It's just not going to work in life. And, and don't misrepresent God by being like, yeah, I'm a Christian. No, you're, you understand there's value in Christianity, but you haven't surrendered yet. We say that knowing God takes two pieces of information. There's the, uh, or two pieces of knowing God. There's the information, which is the word of God, which is read, and the experience. And the experience very often starts by surrender. That's what happened to these people. They surrendered, and they devoted themselves to these four things. And I, I know that there's some moments in our lives where we got to go, all right, I'm, I'm letting go. I'm in. I'm in, God. I want to do what you're calling me to do above all else. I want to seek first the kingdom. I want to I not make you an add-on, but the whole pursuit. And see what God does, because that's the type of life that he says is exceedingly, abundantly more than all you could ask or imagine. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for how it encourages and strengthens us. Uh, and in some instances, Lord, it rebukes us and corrects us, Lord. Not to make us feel bad, but because you love us, Lord. And I pray right now as we sing this last song, Lord, that we would uh, respond in our hearts to what you're doing. Respond in our hearts to what you're teaching us. Lord, maybe we need to spend some time in silence just praying. Maybe we need to sing the words uh, to tell ourselves truth. Maybe we need to uh, change something. Maybe you're convicting us to let go of something or, or go in a different direction or, or press into something we haven't pressed into yet, Lord. I just pray that your work would be done in your people right now through your spirit. We ask you in your name.